Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. The plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to 4 to 6 with A&B, your high State podcast is brought to you by The Athletic. This is Bill Landis, joined by Ari Wasserman. And Ari, it is the best week of Ohio State camp. It is Offensive Lineman Week. We talk with Greg Studrawa and I think nine offensive linemen on Tuesday, right? Today's Wednesday. Um, very interesting shuffling going on up front on, on the Ohio State offensive line. And I think... Um, some people are concerned about why that's happening. I think others are excited about it. It's kind of strange. I think we'll we'll lead off the show with talking about that. Other stuff to get into as Ohio State continues uh, building up toward the opener against Minnesota on September second. But Ari, I wanted to ask you first. Like my, it's my favorite day of camp every year. Did you leave sweating? Offensive lineman. Well, I left. Uh, I left sweating because it was a million degrees in there. So yes, I don't know how much it was. Just the fact. I think if it was. You know, 48 degrees outside. I probably still would have been sweating because of all the offensive lineman heat that was coming out of there. But, uh, you know, we're in the indoor. It's basically a greenhouse. So, yeah, I think everyone was sweating. Yeah, I wasn't talking about the temperature, bud. <laughs> it was pretty warm. It was pretty warm. <laughs> I'm, a bi- I'm a big guy. I'm a big guy. And, uh, you know, it's not fun standing there pouring sweat while you're trying to ask people questions. But, you know, we, we endeavored to achieve. We made it through it. Well... Why don't you go ahead and just run through what you saw, this alignment, and then we'll get into it. Okay, so it was funny. Um, we, were in, we were in there on Monday to talk with Ryan Day, and they set up Ryan Day's press conference on the indoor field now because um, if we're in the team room, we have to wear masks, and Ryan Day has to wear a mask when he talks, and it's just like not really conducive for interview settings. So we did it in the indoor so that basically Ryan Day didn't have to wear his mask while he talked to us. Um, but they let us in too early, so we got to watch like parts of practice we don't normally get to watch like through the garage doors out to the outdoor fields. And we all saw an offensive line of 
Dewan Jones at right tackle, Parrish Johnson at right guard, Harry Miller at center, Thayer Munford at left guard, and Nicholas Petit Frere at left tackle. And like, I don't know on Monday if they really wanted us to see that because after about 10 minutes and them realizing we were standing there, uh, Jerry Emig, the SID, got a phone call and told us we had to leave <laughs> and go wait outside for interviews to start. But then we came back on Tuesday and they were still lined up the same way. Petit Frere, left tackle, Munford, left guard, Harry Miller, center, Parrish Johnson, right guard, big Dewan Jones at right tackle. And, like, there's a lot to get into with that, I guess. But it, it was, for me, like, the most startling thing about it when I wrote in my, like, practice report story that ran on Tuesday was, like, seeing Thayer Munford at left guard, a guy who came back for a fifth season when he didn't have to, a guy who, like, very much was intent on proving that he's the best offensive tackle in college football, a possible first-round draft pick, I think a likely All-American, is now switching positions in his le- – well – looks like he could be switching positions in his last year at Ohio State, and it was pretty startling to me to see that. Yeah, it's just an idea of is Ohio's – it's like is the question here, is DeWan Jones proving to be just too good to keep off the field? Like that's the question, right? Yeah, and that's – that is the gist of what Greg Studrawa in particular said on on Tuesday. He he said it's not about – you know, not liking what he's seeing from Matthew Jones and Josh Fryer in the competition for left guard. It's about how good Dewan Jones has been and then shuffling things in a way that gets him on the field. And I think it just turned out that, you know, they did experiment with him at guard a little bit last year and I think a little bit in the spring. Then I asked Dewan about that, and he was just like, yeah, it's just not comfortable as a run blocker when you're as big as I am trying to play guard. He's listed at 6'8". He's bigger than that. Someone asked him how tall he was, and he said, you know, I'm like 6'8", 6'9". I think that dude is legitimately like 6'10". He's gigantic. I'm six six, and he towers over me, like like really towers over me. So I think they're they're doing uh, him a little bit of a service there by listing him just a, like a hair shorter than he actually is. But he, I think he's too big to play guard. So to get him on the field, you have to play him at tackle. So if you're going to do that, then your options are either move Nick Petit inside or move Thayer Munford inside. And like not only not only is it surprising to me that like they would even consider that, but then once you got to that point, it's even more surprising to me that like Thayer is the guy that they would move inside, not Nick, and not Nick Petit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, also, it's just kind of like when you come back unexpectedly and you ha- were our draft pick and you have those expectations to come back as a tackle, it must be a tough pill to swallow because we made a pretty big deal about Paris Johnson starting it, his career out as a starting guard. Uh, And what that means for his long-term draft stock and all that stuff. And Dewan Jones must be really, really good. I mean, you you would think he'd have to be. Like, I've really liked what we've seen of him when he's played, but it's been a pretty small sample size. You know, he he played at the end of that Northwestern game two years ago when he had that big block on Master Teague's long touchdown run. I thought he played well against Michigan State last year um, when, when asked to play. So he's he's been good, and I've always kind of been high on him. But the idea that he's been so good that he's forced this, and I believe him when they say that. Like I, I, I don't think it's a it's a case of the other guys not being good enough at guard. I, I really do think it's Dewan forcing the issue here. Um, it's a little, yeah, it's a little crazy that he's done this as a guy who was ranked the one thousand forty third prospect in his recruiting class in twenty nineteen. And it's only been a, a few years too. Those, Usually, it takes three yeah. or four years for that to happen. Right. It's been it's been three years, one of which he didn't have a spring ball. Um, last year in general was pretty weird, and like he still put himself in this position. So I, I, one of the things we were talking about yesterday, like, like me and some other reporters, um, just like trying to figure out 
if this has staying power, and like I know you weren't there and you, you weren't like watching practice or talking with us, but I'm curious, like you see that lineup, how do you view it? Do you view it as like this this is it? Like this is how they're going to line up against Minnesota on September 2nd? Or do you think there's enough time for it to change? Do you think this is a motivational ploy to try to get more out of the guys battling a guard? Like how, when you saw that, what was your initial reaction to it? That this isn't going to be the way the line looks because it just is a really hard thing for me to think that they don't have uh, Thayer Munford and Petit Freire on the outsides. Yeah. It's just kind of a – it's a big leap. And when you first told me, well, we saw it through the door, I thought maybe that was just a weird alignment that you saw. But then when you see it for a second consecutive day, intention – and they know when you're there. They're intentional with what you see. It makes me wonder, like, is this the thing? Yeah. Because Ohio State has a very solid – amount of depth on the interior line in terms of the way that they can move people around. That would happen in my mind. If you were to tell me this before this change, you know, I, I think that you could come up with a few different alignments where you're moving people around in the middle three positions that would make a lot of sense before you move a potential all American and senior out of his left tackle spot. And mm-hmm. and then the other thing that's more surprising as you already you know mentioned is if you were going to move one tackle out of a tackle position, you would think that Thayer would come second in that thought. So um, I don't know if it just means that he uh, has a body type or um, a movement that makes more sense on the interior than it would for Nick Petit to do the same. Um, But this is very interesting to me. And, you know, the other thing, too, is that Ohio State's had a lot of really good offensive lines, and maybe you can weigh in on this a little bit. But when's the last time Ohio State had a truly massive tackle like this? Because, like, sometimes they take these prospects out of high school and you say, well, my God, this guy's just a mountain of a human. And sometimes that's just enough. But it just, to me, it always seemed like this guy, uh, Dewan Jones I'm talking about, had a pretty high ceiling just because of how well he moved at that size. So, like, I can't off the top of my head remember the last time somebody had somebody pushing, or Ohio State had somebody pushing 6'10 on on the bookend. And if he moves the way that he did, which we saw on the basketball court, that seems like that'd be a pretty awesome thing. But that move indicates that not only is he one of the two or three best tackles on the team, but the difference between him and Munford or Nick Petit on the outside is greater than what it would be if they had to makeshift the interior of the line. And they had two mm-hmm. two players battling at guard that both seemed pretty ready to start this year. So, like, I mean, it's not just a simple move. There's a lot to it that a lot of – different moving parts that you're trying to kind of figure out what that means when you're talking about the offensive line as a whole. I don't know the last time somebody was that big starting on the line at Ohio State. It hasn't happened since I've been covering the team, unless I'm forgetting somebody. Um, and, like, the I, I I wondered, like, like I remember, like, Corey Stringer being a mountain of a man, but I just looked like he wasn't quite that big. Like, Orlando Pace was was six seven and maybe even bigger than that, not to compare to Juan Jones to Orlando Pace because comparing anyone to Orlando Pace is – uh, yeah, we do it so football, often. <laughs> football analysis malpractice. Like, can we stop doing that, <laughs> please? <laughs> the guy might be the best offensive lineman ever. Like, it's okay if we don't want to compare, you know, young Ohio State prospects to that man, even if they were ranked highly. Um, so, I, yeah, he's – Dewan Jones, and I wrote this, um, I think, two days ago, maybe. Or maybe it was in, in the one that I wrote yesterday on Tuesday. Like, he's a unicorn. You don't see guys like him. He reminds me, I think that the easy comparison to like a recent college fo- football player is like Mackay Becton, um, who played at Louisville and was a first-round pick of the Jets two years ago. And and I do, I, I truly do think like Dewan, if he's that big and can men- maintain sort of 
his consistency through a game, which just means like don't get fatigued because you are that big, he has first-round upside because guys who are that big who move that way don't come around very often. So like I, I get why he'd be intriguing to the coaching staff. And Greg Sudrawa said that. Like he said, like a guy that is that size, he's 370 pounds and moves like that. He moves like a basketball player. Like what are you supposed to do when that guy starts coming on? Like you have to find a way to get him on the field. So I get it. Um, it's just odd. like it's it's odd that he would force the move inside for a guy like Thayer Munford and not Parrish Johnson. And like Doug was trying to get uh, ask Parrish Johnson a little bit about like the, the mindset of that. And, you know, Paris, Paris didn't really bite on it, which I don't know if you would expect them to. They were all saying the right things about about doing whatever the team needs, and I think Paris knows in the back of his mind he'll be a tackle next year and, and still do what he needs to do. Um, the interesting piece of it was, like, Thayer Munford said that when he initially decided to come back, he had a conversation with Dewan Jones. Like, Dewan Jones was not thrilled that Thayer was coming back because Dewan thought he'd have a shot to be a starting tackle this year because Thayer was going to go to the NFL. And Thayer says that he told Dewan, like, if you prove that you are ready to hold down that job, I wouldn't have a problem moving inside. Now, maybe that's a thing you just say after the fact, after it happens. But I think Thayer Munford is a pretty straight shooter, so I, I believe him which is like another interesting dynamic there. I do think there's something at play where like Thayer knows that maybe he'll be a guard in the NFL. Maybe that's that's where his, his ultimate landing spot is, so this could be good for him in the long run. But doesn't make it any less weird that Ohio State's moving a potential All-American offensive tackle out of the position where he established himself that way. And I don't know if you just said that or said this, so tell me if you did, but you would think that Paris Johnson was the one that was going to make them move this way. Yeah, right, you right. Know? And that's another implication of how important this move is. And I don't know how particularly interested most people are in the minutiae of the offensive line the way that you are, but in this specific instance, I think it's very fascinating across the board because it's not just one position move. It's an implication about five people or at mm-hmm. least three people. So, you know, I, I think that it's a good thing for Ohio State if they found a legitimate NFL tackle uh, who's ready to play right now, you know, that means that they found somebody, you know, and they could put uh, Thayer Munford at center for all I know, and I would have complete and utter confidence in his ability to execute that new position because of what he's sure. proven as, as a player. So I think there's a discussion about what this means for Thayer and his future, which I think that people would probably find less fascinating than what does this mean for Ohio State. And what this means for Ohio State is that their offensive line just got better. Yeah, I, that would be an interesting question. Like, if you're, what what would make you feel better? A, a line where Thayer and Nick Petit are the tackles, and the guard is either Matthew Jones or Josh Fryer at left guard, or or what the line we're talking about now. Um, I, uh, I I think I might feel better about this. I think that Dewan Jones and his limited time compared to Matthew Jones and his limited time played better. Um, so I think I'd be more on board with this this five of of. But DeJuan can you hide a guard? And Harry. No, because uh, that's where Ohio State was susceptible last year, which like also makes me wonder. I asked Greg Sudrawa just he didn't really go down the road. Um, neither did the players, but like they were not they have not been great at interior pass protection in the last few years. Last year I thought they were especially bad. Um, and I wonder like if moving a couple of tackles to guard might help mitigate that sum and if it was any part of the driving force behind these decisions. 
to put guys who are a little more comfortable pass blocking on the interior for a young quarterback so he doesn't have a guy running yeah, in his face. Because this year, like Justin Fields did last year. It's much more important to do so, too, because I don't think either or any of the quarterback uh, competitors are anywhere near as elusive as Justin Fields was, too. Not just the right. youth. It's just a matter of being able to physically escape as well. Yeah, how many times do we see Justin Fields spin out of a sack from a linebacker that ran untouched through the middle of the line? Like, it happened, I don't know, what, five times a game? Um, I don't think any, like you said, to your point, I don't think any of these guys are doing that. Um, and another thing with Thayer, too, like, along the lines of, of moving him inside instead of Nick Petit, I do think Thayer is a more powerful player than Nick Petit. Like, Nick Petit is a great pass blocker. He became one last year. He'll be one this year. I think where he leaves a little something to be desired still is is in the run game and moving people in that way. So if you don't want to play him inside because you still have concerns about that, I think that makes sense. Thayer, Thayer just is, is more of a people mover than Nick Petit is. I mean, I, yeah, I, I think it makes sense. You know, the only thing I, I don't know, and you probably have a better idea of this, is is how dramatic of a move is it to go from outside to inside? Because I know that going from inside to outside is really, really hard. Mm-hmm. But is it, it, it maybe it's hard just because it's a different physical game out there. But, like, in the world of offensive line, if you can play tackle, can you automatically play guard? But if you can play guard, you can't automatically play tackle? Or is it just as tough of a transition moving in in, in your mind? I think it. I think it's tough either way, and it certainly depends on the player. Like Thayer, being as old as he is and experienced as he is, and I guess he, ha- he apparently he had played some guard early in his career. Uh, I think it is not so much of a, of a struggle for him. And apparently, Paris has taken well to it too, even though he never played guard before last year. He's always been a tackle. You're talking about two pretty big guys there. Like Paris is six seven, Thayer is six six, and and I said this before. Like I wonder about like consistent pad level and being able to match the the leverage of smaller defensive tackles on a tighter confined space when you're that big playing inside like I would be worried about that um they don't seem to be and and stud like couldn't stop gushing about how good Paris has been with that and I think Paris was pretty good with it last year too when he when he did play at guard um but that, that's gonna be like a, a a not a worry for me but like something I'm gonna be alert for, on alert for kind of all year if this is the way it shakes out because you know, we, we've seen big guys play guard here before, like Michael Jordan was a big dude. Um, but I also think when he did play guard, we saw instances of him of his size kind of being used against him at points. So I'm I'm wondering about that too. I think that's like the biggest transition for a lot of these guys. You don't have to worry about it as much when you play tackle, um, particularly when you're pass blocking, when you're out on that island, and it's sort of more about speed than it is um, kind of power and guys getting up under you. Um, but I think because I like like Thayer is so old and Paris Johnson seems like such a dude that I wouldn't worry about it too too much. Yeah, it'll be interesting to track next time you're in to see if it's still in that alignment. Yeah, and we have that the, the, for the moment anyway. Like in terms of depth chart stuff, I outside of receiver obviously with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and tight end with Jeremy Ruckert. Like I think we got a pretty clear picture of what the two deep on the offensive line looks like right now, and it's. These five we talked, we've been talking about, and then the second five, which has also undergone some shuffling, is Enoch Vimahi at left tackle, Matthew Jones at left guard, Luke Whipler at center, um, Donovan Jackson at right guard, and Josh Fryer at right tackle. And someone asked me in the comments of the story I wrote yesterday, like along the lines of like this five, the Dewan right tackle five, sticking, and I said I'm still skeptical because I'm still leaving the door open for Donovan Jackson, like who's already worked his way into the two deep. And like we saw Ryan Jacoby going to the transfer portal this week, I think probably partly because of that. Um, 
like that kid's making a move and like the pads are just coming on now and the first scrimmage is Saturday like as exciting as it is to see that the wand version of this offensive line I do think that there's plenty of time for a guy like Donovan Jackson in particular to force the coaching staff's hand and then have things settle out where Nick and Thayer are back at tackle and Donovan is one of the starting guards. Because when you're making the offensive line, you're not just deciding which one is the best individual player. You're trying to figure out what unit is the best unit. And even if – like Donovan Jackson would have to be a much better guard – then Dewan Jones would have to be a tackle for them to switch that up, in my opinion, if, you, if you're if you confident yep. that uh, Thayer can play inside. Because if you, if you have this, this alignment, then that makes a lot of sense. But if Donovan Jackson is a better guard than Jones is a tackle, then you can put both tackles back to where they were, and then you found a really solid interior piece and a young guy that's going to be a part of your of your team and your starting offensive line for the next three years. So, yeah. you know, it's very early on, and I think that scrimmages and getting pads on is super important. But it's just like not just who's going to win a battle, it's just also who's going to win a battle that's going to determine the configuration of the entire offensive line, which I find fascinating. Yeah, yeah. and it is – like the coaches talk about best five all the time, and like I've written about it too, but I also kind of always – shrug it off a little bit because sometimes your best five just can't coexist um and if this was the best five including the one like i would have said they can't coexist unless you do something drastic but it looks like they're willing to do something drastic when I, and i would consider moving thayer munford to guard like pretty pretty drastic not not in like a, a desperate kind of bad way but just like borderline shocking i think that they would do this now with him when faced with the very same proposition in the spring with Paris Johnson, they opted not to do that. So I, we'll see. We, we get to watch practice again on Thursday, um, and then we get to watch practice next week, I believe next Thursday as well. Um, we'll see how, how this plays out. Next, next Thursday in particular I think we'll be telling because, like I said, um, Wednesday as we're recording this is like the first day of live tackling to the ground in full pads. They were in full pads on Tuesday. And then on Saturday, they scrimmage for the first time. And, and one of the things Ryan Day talked about this week is, like, that's going to be the start of some separation, I think. Because, like, once they put guys into real game situations and real pads, wherever there's question marks about who's going to play where, I think I think that's where they start to figure some things out, including a quarterback, which we can talk about. But if we come out next Thursday, um, I think it's the 18th, and this offensive line that we saw on Tuesday is the same offensive line we see then, then I think that's the offensive line we're going to see on September 2nd when they play Minnesota. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Do you think that 
choosing Thayer to move over Nick Petit is an implication that uh, Nick is a better tackle, or do you think that it is probably more so because they believe that Thayer is more likely to excel in a new position because of his experience? The latter. I think I think it's I think they think very highly of both players at tackle, but if one of them has to move, I think they feel more comfortable with Thayer playing guard than they do Nick. Yeah. If that make, does that make sense? Yeah, it does, yeah. It's just because yeah. it's just you have to kind of also analyze the idea of why did they pick him. And also like why did they move I, I guess you move Nick because it's the blind side of the quarterback and you want the more experienced guy there. Um and Nick has played left before, like in, in in practice at least. And I think he might have started the left tackle against Northwestern two years ago when Thayer was banged up. So it's not totally foreign to him. Um, I actually don't know if either Thayer or Nick Petit are going to be tackles in the NFL. I think I'm – I don't know. I, I guess if the power the, – the, the run blocking concerns that Ohio State has about Nick Petit – I guess the NFL would have those two, so maybe you wouldn't want to play him inside either. But he's only he's six five. He's long, which is why he can play tackle. But he's only six five, um, and I say only because tackles are typically bigger than that. But yeah, I think it's more. I think it says more about what they think of Thayer than it does like them thinking that Nick Petit is on some other kind of le- level from Thayer. You I know. think I think they probably view Thayer as the more complete lineman, which is why they want to put him inside. And if he said that to Dewan and then made good on that, like if there's some if if there's a story of of they are going into Stud's office and saying, "Hey, I told this to Dewan Jones uh, last year when I decided to come back that if he came out and he showed that he was one of the best uh, three tackles ready for that position, that I would move inside and I want to let you know that I'm willing to do that for this team because I see that in him and I know that you see that in him. That would be a pretty remarkable story." Yeah, just to like kind of pile on what has been a, like a pretty remarkable career with. Uh... With Thayer Munford. Um, sorry, I got uh, startled there. Uh, Letter Monroe reporting that Jalen Johnson, freshman defensive back, tore his ACL in camp and will be out for the year. Um, stinks for Jalen. Always stinks when a young guy gets hurt like that. Court Williams had a similar injury early in camp last year and set him back a little bit. But he was uh, he was off on the side yesterday when we were practicing. and we couldn't really figure out why, but I guess that makes sense. Um, anyway, back to Thayer. Like, to become what he became from – his recruiting profile, like to, to grad, like he, like was pretty honest about some of the stuff. Like he's a learning disability and he graduated from Ohio state, um, became a first round tackle for a guy who was like ranked, I think close to the three hundreds. And a lot of people weren't who almost didn't even get to school. Like stud had to really convince urban Meyer to take him. And he became, uh, an excellent, excellent offensive tackle. And now if he's going to do this, like on top of that sort of for the betterment of the team, like I know that gets kind of cheesy, but it is, it is a pretty remarkable story. Yeah, and I I know that it's been told that Thayer Munford's entire arrival at Ohio State's one of the more interesting and and noteworthy recruitments in the history of of my time on the beat. So you know, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how this plays out. But you know, I'm also very excited to see what Dewan Jones can do because if you have a guy who can move like that and is that size who is really taking the position well, like you could have somebody who moves mountains for some youthful running backs, and uh, you know if they do. You know, this offensive line is going to be a, a main piece to why Ohio State's going to be in the national championship discussion this year. We're, we're staring at a situation where in week one, um, each team 
has a starting offensive tackle. Ohio State's Dewan Jones, who's listed at 6'8", 360, and Minnesota's uh, Daniel Falele, who's listed at 6'9", 380. And I think instead of playing the game, we should just put those two guys out at midfield and like let them wrestle, and whoever wins, the team wins the game. Yeah, I was going to say, can we do the – what's the drill called? Fireman drill, or what is it? Like the Oklahoma the drill? The Oklahoma drill. I don't know why I said yeah, fire. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just put put uh, 800 pounds of man out there yeah. <laughs> for the Oklahoma drill. <laughs> I'd watch that. I don't know if anybody – I think people want to watch, like, quarterbacks throw passes and stuff, but I'll go out there and watch. Do you think the, the TV two, ratings two, would be better if they did one rep before the game to settle the coin toss? Didn't they do that in the XFL? Didn't he have to, like, fight over the ball to win to get the kickoff? <laughs> and it's like most teams don't even do want it. the ball. It's like, here, take it, bud. I don't even want it. Yeah, right. Yeah, just go ahead and win. No, yeah, I think – well, you fight You fight for the right to, to, to defer. Yeah. To defer, yeah. I would watch that. Just send out your two uh, your two best fighters. Yeah, your two biggest guys. It'd be like the beginning of that movie, Troy, when they send out that giant to fight Achilles, and who, Achilles just kills him. Who would be Ohio suit. State's pick for – Um. Not just biggest guy, but who do you think would be the most likely to win an Oklahoma drill? I guess you have to do weight classes. Yeah. Like, who's, like, the baddest dude on the team? Yeah, like, who would you send out there? I don't know. Taraja Mitchell could probably lay somebody out pretty good if you put him in put him in that mix. If you told him, like – because I feel like if you did that in practice, like, with your teammates, maybe you pull back a little bit because you don't want to hurt one of your teammates. But if you were going out there and doing it against an opponent and, like, the objective was to just, like, lay the wood on this dude as hard as you can – uh yeah maybe Taraja. Yeah, P- put a quarterback out there. What receiver would you put out there? Oh, some of those dudes are gigantic. Like Emeka Ibuka and Julian Fleming are huge dudes. Um, so probably one of those two. Maybe Julian Fleming. Chris, like Chris Olave out there would be quick though, wouldn't he? I don't know. He, if he'd be elusive. Yeah, he'd be elusive. Yeah. If the objective was to not get hit, then maybe you put Chris Olave. Yeah, what out there, if you have the like the a sumo wrestling the situation where the entire goal is to get him outside the red circle? Okay, so now we're going to have Dewan Jones and Daniel Falele sumo wrestle each other <laughs> at the start of the game to determine who gets to defer. Yeah, I'd also watch that. The ratings would be through the roof. Yeah, yeah, we're all beasts. Let's, make that, Let's make that happen. <laughs> All right, what else you want to know from camp? Uh, I read a few notes that you had that I thought were particularly interesting. One, why don't we go with the Mayan Williams quote first and just why don't you break down what you what you think of the, the running back situation right now? Yeah, so what what I've been waiting to have, for to happen, like happened this week, and that is we all went nuts about Mayan Williams being at the front of the line in the bits of practice that we've been able to watch, and then Ryan Day was asked about it on Monday, and he said, like, yeah, you shouldn't read too much into that. Um, and then we came out on Tuesday, and Master Teague was at the front of the line. Is that a response to just be like, hey, those idiots think they know what we're doing here? Switch it, uh, switch it up. Yeah, yeah, it could, it could certainly be that. Um, it could be a nod to an older guy. Like I don't know. the The, the hard part is we we still don't get to watch full like competitive eleven on eleven reps to actually know who is where, and that is certainly intentional. Um, I don't. I didn't come out and see Master Teague at the front of the line on Tuesday and think to myself, like, well, we're back to square one with running back. Like, I still think it's going to be Mayan Williams and Trey Henderson. Yeah. No, I agree with that. With Master Teague, like, mixed in as a short yardage guy, like we said before. But um, I did think it was funny. And I do think they do things like that. They're, they, Like you said, they know when we're there. They know what we see and what we, can, and what we don't see. And I don't think – like, they overthink it for sure because I don't, I don't believe it actually matters. But they – 
want us to see and report, I think, certain things when we're there for four or five periods You're a puppet. of practice. That's all you are. We are puppets. You're a puppet. That's fine. I don't mind being a puppet. I just wish we could be a puppet and watch more practice. All right. I'll, yeah, whatever. They can put, you know, Jesse Murko, a quarterback. I'll write about it if it means we get to watch 12 periods of practice. Well, they, they did use a long snapper in a linebacker situation during a spring game. I don't know if it could ever get That's more true, crazy they did. than that. They have not been doing that in, in fall camp. Liam McCullough is back to being a long snapper. He's not playing linebacker. Okay. Although Steel Chambers is sticking at linebacker. I've got a uh, a real question. Okay. Cam Brown, are we uh, looking at a first-round corner again or what? So, uh, first-round corner, I'm not there yet, but – they're in a weird position right now with cornerback because, like, Seven Banks is out with something. Ryan Day said, quote, he tweaked something. Um, but he was, like, dressed at practice on Tuesday but not doing anything. Cam Brown is still coming back from his Achilles and sort of being worked back in the thing slowly. But we got to see him do some competitive one-on-one stuff late last week. And he made two really nice pass breakups. One on the sideline against Julian Fleming, one over the middle. I think it might have been against Emeka Ibuka, but I can't say for sure. I can't remember. That was the more impressive of the pass breakups. Like he did a bite on a double move. He stayed in the, in the receiver's hip um, and then like shot his hands at the last second and knocked the ball down. And like Kerry Combs was going nuts because Cam Brown was out there flashing and making plays again. And it was a reminder of like what everybody thought he was going to be. So I think it's good that he's doing those things, especially in light of the fact that like we don't know what's going on with Seven Banks. But I still look out there at cornerback and think to myself, like, man. There's, there's not a, there's talent here, I think, but there is not a lot of experience and like not a lot of sort of like banked good reps that would make you feel good about where that position is headed right now. It's a, it's a little, it's a little thin. It's, it's very thin in terms of experience and super thin and like known commodities. And like, if people are nervous about corner, like I kind of get it. How quickly can you go from non-proven entity or commodity to proven in a game, a half a season, a season? Like how long does it take before that, that light bulb switches in your mind? I think you can allay those concerns in a game. Um, and Minnesota, like Minnesota's got an experienced quarterback and some decent receivers. Like if those guys hold up well in that game, I would start to feel pretty good almost immediately. Still don't know who's going to be out there. Like seven banks deal doesn't sound like it's long-term. I, like Cam Brown should be ready for the start of the season. Full, should be ready to play like a, the full allotment of snaps for a starter at the start of the season. I think they're just being cautious with him right now. Um, but they need more than those two. And I don't know like – Have any of the other guys good, flashed? So we've we've not gotten a, a great vibe on Legend Cavazos. Like we just haven't, haven't seen him a ton in the periods that we've watched. So I don't, I don't want to say anything good or, good or bad about him. Uh, I thought two, two freshmen kind of caught my eye the other day. And that was Ja'Kalen Johnson, who, like, they were doing their first tackling drills of camp. And it was like a – it was kind of like a cat and mouse thing where, like, they sprinted in opposite directions, rounded a cone, and then sprinted back at each other, and, and you had to tackle the ball carrier. And I forget who J.K. Johnson was going against, but he just, like, exploded into the, the person he was tackling. Like, looked like a, a missile, like, fully, like, parallel to the ground, just, like, dove through the guy and, and took him down to the ground. And again, Kerry Combs went nuts because that's what Kerry Combs does. Uh, but then later in a one-on-one drill, J.K. Johnson had a nice pass break up on a back shoulder ball. He almost picked it off. So he he stood out to me. And then Denzel Burke um, had a really nice rep in, in one-on-ones to, um, I believe, against Julian Fleming, where, again, it was similar to what Cam Brown did. 
stuck in the guy's hip, didn't bite on the move on a slant, played in perfect position the whole time, knocked the ball away late. Um, just like a really like physical, sound cornerback play from a guy who has not really played a whole lot of cornerback. And he continues to get talked about in pretty high – uh, regard like Matt Matt Barnes gushed about him in the spring like couldn't believe how how far along Denzel Burke was for a guy who didn't play a lot of corner in high school and then um, Ryan Day did the same earlier this week and then you get out on the field and you kind of see like Denzel back it up granted in a very small sample size and it does make you wonder because someone has to emerge like someone is going to work their way into the corner rotation like someone or someone's I think Kerry would like to have four that he can really really rely on and it's seven and it's cam provided they're healthy, but then it's wide open after that. And it does seem like there's potential there for true freshman JK Johnson or true freshman Jordan Hancock who just got here or true freshman Denzel Burke who enrolled in the spring to maybe emerge in that spot too, because it's not like the guys in front of them in the second year corner class have done anything to, they haven't had much of an opportunity, but they've also, because of that, they've not done anything in my opinion to create like a massive separation between themselves and the guys behind them. So it seems like a much different world for Kerry Combs right now. Usually fall camp is a time where everybody says there's going to be no rotation, and now it's just like, oh, my God, can they find a rotation? It's like that's the evolution of the cornerback position at Ohio State where it's like, why aren't the two best guys on the field most of the time? And now it's just like, oh, my God, I hope they've got better more than two really good guys. Yeah, yeah, it is funny because we, we always like – when Kerry first talked about rotating, like, this is bullshit. You're like, you're going to play your top guys. And then he did not do that. And now it's like, can you please, please, please find somebody else to rotate in? Because if you don't, uh, this could be a long season. For, for the back end of the defense. So, yeah, there – I don't – Kerry – we talked with Kerry last week. Um, I can't remember – I think we did a podcast after that, so we might be rehashing a little bit here. But but Kerry – I don't know. He's the eternal optimist, I guess, so I guess you can only take so much of it. But he seems to feel pretty good about what they have um, and and happy that they were able to develop in, like, a normal offseason this year. But I don't know. what Like, like I'm not – no offense to Kerry Combs. Like, I try not to take Coach's word on that, like – too too much because like I want to see it with my own two eyes and watch those guys play but getting to see J.K. Johnson and Denzel Burke do a little something in practice caught my attention it's not to say that the other guys haven't done stuff but it's really like it's those two Ryan Watts Legend Cavazos Jordan Hancock like that there's not it's not like there are a ton of options there that's why they're recruiting so many defensive backs in the next recruiting class um Cam Martinez I think can do a little something outside for them too but I think he's probably more of a safety at this point, Lathan Ransom likewise. So, you know, the list the list of potential options to play alongside Cam Brown and Seven Banks is not particularly extensive, and the guys that they do have, like, have never played. What about DeJuan Jones? I bet you he'd be a hell of a jammer. Yeah, I think he's. I think he can flip his hips pretty well too. I just worry. I worry about the straight line speed. You know, <laughs> can he can he carry a can he carry a, a nine route all the way down the field? I'm not so sure. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. So I was assigned to do a story uh, on Wednesday or on Tuesday on the coaches' poll of who is overrated and underrated in the coaches poll. Yeah. And as you could probably predict without even reading it, the entire world caught on fire. <laughs> and I thought that Ohio State and I listed Ohio State as overrated at 4. What is your take on that? I think it's probably fair because if I were putting together a preseason poll, I would probably end up putting Ohio State 5th. Um It is hard though like who was one? Was Alabama one? Yeah. I didn't even look at the coach's poll. Why? Like, Alabama is the national champion. Yeah, yeah. Alabama's one because it's Alabama. But like, Alabama lost a ton. I so, put Alabama is overrated, too, and people uh, were commenting, if you come at the king, best not miss. If you were to rank the teams, like, about, like, who you feel best about, like, national title contenders at the end of the year, like, I think you could put Oklahoma and Georgia maybe one and two. I don't know. Maybe that's crazy. I think like, I, like Oklahoma and Georgia, I think, should be ahead of Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson right now, just based off what they have coming I back. I think my top five would be Georgia one, Oklahoma two, Clemson three, or no, Alabama three, Clemson four, Ohio State five. I think I would put Clemson behind Ohio State, which is why Clemson's like I can defense get... is supposed to be nasty this year, dude. Yeah, yeah. But I also Ohio think State it has, has to major questions on both sides of the ball. Now they might answer sure. those questions in a very amazing way, but as we're ranking them going into the season, Ohio State has to figure out who their quarterback is going to be and navigate a really tough scenario mm-hmm. the right way. And they also have to find a defensive backfield that isn't at risk of getting shredded by Indiana again. So like, I, I, I don't know I, I, me saying they have to solve those questions. Isn't an implication that I don't think that they will. But when you talk about defensive backs on this podcast the way that you have, it makes me be like, oh, boy. Yeah, no, I think – Because lack of options and not knowing who it is is completely different. Right, right. And they kind of have both. I don't know. Like I said, the list is pretty short. Um, No, I get that. I think think it's fair, and I do think like Clemson, DJ Uwe Angalale is – for the most part, a new starter, but he's at least played. Like, you know more about him than you know about any of Ohio State's quarterbacks. Um, Bryce Young played a little bit last year at Alabama. So, I think it's fair. Like, I think I think five is probably the absolute lowest I would go with Ohio State in a preseason poll. Like, I wouldn't put, like, Iowa State ahead of them. Um, 
and I don't even know who else you'd consider Florida. I wouldn't put Florida ahead of them. Um, so technically, yeah, if they're if they're fourth and you feel like they're overrated, I think I can get on board with that. But it's only because they should be fifth. Also, the difference between three and five is is negligible, you know, and these things yeah. change or whatever. But it's just kind of like where are we ranking these teams and why are we ranking them? Like it's like Alabama's number one because it's the least amount of work required when filling out the poll. Yeah. Or is Nick Saban, if he was, if Nick Saban's the coach, they're one. You know, I was just looking at the rosters, and it feels like Oklahoma might be the best version of itself this year. That it's been in a long time. Uh, Georgia has the easiest schedule possible in the SEC and finally has a quarterback they feel kind of good about, and they're also the most talented team in college football on paper. You know, it just yeah, feels like too. Alabama and Ohio State might have better track records with coaching and talent, but also have more questions than those other two teams. Yeah, and I think you have to honor that, right? Like you, certainly, you give some deference to to track record, and Ohio, Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson, you know, have that. It's undeniable. But I also think you, when you're doing stuff like that, you have to do an honest assessment of where the rosters are too. And I think you can make a pretty compelling case that that Oklahoma and Georgia right now are are better suited than than the rest of the. Contenders. It's like maybe Oklahoma's Absolutely. defense will suck, or maybe Georgia's quarterback situation will explode, and it'll be business as usual. But like as we sit here right now on August 11th. I think it's fair, and I'm very curious more so. Like, I, Ohio State has a quarterback problem, but I don't view it as a problem. So, I mean, I, I have all the confidence in the world that C.J. Stroud is going to be really good and the starter. But yeah, defensive backfield, I mean, of all the positions on Ohio State's team over the past five years that have given them trouble, what would you say is the number one? It's like I would say defensive back, which is ironic because they've had more draft picks out of that position group too than any other any other position. But like maybe linebacker, but which team? Like in years where Ohio State's got bitten by a bug, what the 2018 season they were bitten by the defensive back bug. Um, I think they were bitten by the Bill Davis Greg Schiano bug, like a a non-functional coaching situation. I think is what got them there, maybe more so than than talent. I'm trying to remember who the corners were in 18. It was like young Jeff Okuda. Damon Arnett. Uh, oh, you mean two first rounders? Yeah, but they weren't that yet. Like they 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 weren't yeah. really dudes that year. Um, so it was a combination, I think, of coaching and talent. But it is, yeah. Like when they're, I think it's hard. I think it's hard in college football to hide a bad secondary. Or like really hard to hide a bad secondary, unless Especially you just have now. an all world pass rush. And Ohio State might have an all world pass rush this year, but. Um, I do think, yeah, the way that the way that offenses are now, the way that the rules kind of favor them, I just think if you're if you're suspect on the back end, it is really really hard to hide that. Um, and I'm not I'm not telling you that like Ohio State is going to be suspect on the back end. Uh, I'm telling you I don't know. And anyone who's telling you there's going to be awesome is just like taking the coaches coaching staff's word as gospel. And I try not to do that when we don't get to see things with our own two eyes. So um, that would give me pause when like trying to figure out where Ohio State fits into the picture. The quarterback, not so much. Like I think, like, like we said a million times, wherever it is, is going to be good. And you know, more and more, we just get more and more. Uh, I don't know if confirmation is too strong of a word, but information that that leads me and I think everyone else down the road that like C.J. Stroud is going to be the starting quarterback for this team when Ryan Day decides he wants to name him. I don't know. Could be next week. We're at that time. Um, Ryan Day said this week. You know, after they get to the, the through the scrimmage on Saturday, they might have an idea of of who the guy is going to be. And I think they have three weeks after that to, to the first game of the season. But like, again, you just go out there and watch them throw and 
like CJ, I think probably has the best touch and the most consistency. That's all the fade. It's noticeable. That you posted. That fade ball to Jackson Smith and Jigba was pretty special. I thought, um, first of all, a great route by Jackson Smith and Jigba, which was like more confirmation that he's going to be awesome. Um, did it against Lathan Ransom too, who I think is a good defensive back. And then like perfectly placed ball down the sideline by CJ Stroud, just like the, the, the best throw we've seen by anyone in, in the periods we've been able to watch. But there was also a deep ball drill earlier in the camp. And it's just like, I don't think CJ Stroud has the strongest arm in the world in just terms of like velocity down the field, but his deep ball is, is pretty like the way it, it hangs in the air for quite a bit, but it's accurate. Um, and it's tight. And, and I think like it was just a reminder, like he's, more more consistent with it. Although Kyle, like Kyle McCord's deep ball is is like a, a rocket sometimes. Um, CJ's is very accurate, and I think the accuracy is is something that's going to weigh heavier in Ryan Day's assessment of things than than pure arm strength is. So, um, and based on I'm what not, I was reading uh, um, in your story, it seems like Stroud is taking the lion's share of the ones, and then the two and the three are switching between Jack Miller and Kyle McCord. Yeah, and it feels like it's going back and forth, and it depends on the drill, too. Um, like, when they were doing routes on air, Jack was second. When they were doing one-on-ones against the defensive backs, Kyle was second. Um, Jack really had a hard time in the, in the deep ball, and I don't know, maybe he just wasn't didn't have a good feel for it, but, like, the receivers had to come back to the ball quite a bit when he was throwing the deep ball. It was just like, again, he has to put a lot more into it to get the ball down the field than the other two guys do. And it's not the end-all, be-all quarterback. Like, you know, JT Barrett didn't have the strongest arm in the world either, and he was a productive quarterback, but um, I think we're in a different era of Ohio State quarterback play, and like you need to be better at that to be the starter here in Ryan Day's offense. And, and CJ and Kyle have that um, probably significantly more than than Jack does right now. So I don't know. I think I'd be surprised if we get a starter name next week. Like, where where are you on that? Do you think if it's apparent Ryan Day will name him this far out in advance, or do you think we're not going to know until September second? So next week would be the eighteenth. I th- I would anticipate that we'll know after the twenty fourth. So like getting in the game week, yeah. kind of. Maybe yeah. the Monday of the game week. Yeah, and I or maybe like, not I at all. I don't know. I guess it's possible. Like the transfer portal could tell us too who the starter's going to be before now and then. Um, we've seen one one player transfer, Ryan Jacoby, already. Um, so it was just like a, a, a reminder that even though we passed the July first deadline, like attrition is still very possible at this point in the season, as depth charts start to take shape. So if someone in that room gets a vibe for where this is going. Wouldn't it be terribly surprised if, if we get some information about the depth chart that way before Ryan Day says anything? But all signs point to C.J. Stroud still still being the starter, and, and I'd be shocked at this point if he wasn't. Yeah. Any other pressing questions for you, or you want to wrap up the show? You try any new cheeseburgers this week? Did not try any new cheeseburgers. <laughs> um, did go uh, – went to Bar Trivia – on Tuesday night for the first time in a while, and I enjoy bar trivia, and picked up a pizza from Planks to, to bring over. It was bring your own food. So uh had Planks pizza for, I believe it was the first time I've had it. Pretty good. Pretty good. Like up there, immediately. That was your first there. time ever having it? I, I can't remember. It was my first time for sure having it fresh. Um, there might have been a time where I like had it where I was like sitting around for a while, which I don't I don't count that as a true true eating experience, but... Had it fresh on Tuesday night, and it immediately jumped. I don't want to say like all the way to the front of the line, but near the front of the line of best Columbus pizzas I've had. Go to TAT, and then we'll have a final ranking. So whenever you do that, okay? TAT on the east side, near my house. Yeah, I'll check it out. Just so you have the full repertoire. Oh yeah, I haven't had 
there are probably a handful of places around here that I need to go before I have super hot takes on it. But I thought I thought Planks was very. We've good. been to Bexley Pizza Plus together. Yeah. Uh, have you been to Rubino's? I have. I think it's fine. Fine. I would say both are fine. Uh, I've what had, else? You've I've had, had Hound Dogs. You've had Hound had Dogs. Massey's. Tommy's. Um, what was that one? Tommy's. Had Tommy's. Yep. I'm trying to think. You had Domino's. I've had Domino's, local joint. <laughs> local, local, local joint. I'm trying to think of what else in Columbus is really, really, really good. I've had Yellow Brick. Um, I like Yellow Brick a lot. I'm trying to think. I'm sure there are people listening to this who are screaming out places. And and uh, did your dad have a spot on the east side that was one of his go tos when he was growing up here? When he was growing up there, he was a big Tommy's and Massey's guy. Okay. And he, Massey's is good. Massey's is really, really good. It is infinitely better when you have it freshly made. I know they have a lunch buffet for like seven bucks where you get some fried chicken in there too, some ziti. Mm-hmm. But I think when you go into Massey's, you walk in, large pepperoni. Don't get cute with the toppings there. Extra well done uh, with extra cornmeal on the bottom. Fresh yeah. out of the oven is the best pizza in Columbus, in my opinion. That's still top of the list for me. Um, but Planks is making a move. Planks is making a move. I like sweet sauce, so that's what I like about Planks. Yeah, and I felt like the dough was kind of sweet too, in addition to the sauce. Yeah, it's Col- I, really I didn't enjoyed. realize that Colum- it was Columbus style pizza. Yeah, it's like tavern cut or something like that, like the circular pizza that's cut into squares. Yeah, and also like it's on grown, a cracker. It's grown on me. And you said that it's cracker was on the lower end of your favorite pizzas, and I'm wondering if it is growing on you. It is growing on me. Maybe because I don't just don't have any other options here, but it's when it's not. When it's not super thin and cracker-like, I can get on board with it. It's like I don't like when it's that way, but it's like super crispy and like really thin. Um, I've encountered that a few times. Not a fan. But if there's a little bit of thickness to it, um, a little bit of, uh, I guess like softer or like more give to it, I can get on board with that. Yeah. Have you ever been to Emos in St. Louis? Have not. No. But I think it's very, it's very cracker-like. Yeah, it's it? very good. I like it a lot. And some, it's I like very polarizing because it has Provel cheese on it. Um, oh, really? And I, I ate it there once, and I thought it was delicious because it's totally a Columbus-style type, Midwestern-style cracker pizza. Um, Interesting. But I very next time you're in St. Louis, you got to go grab a slab and let me know what you think. I will. I will. I mean, it's only six hours away. I'm going to get in the car right now. Yeah, there's like there. 19 Walmarts you can hit on the way out there, too, to see if they have any football cards. So you, it's, it's a worthy road, road trip. Sounds like a great day. Do you think that you would have a better chance of hitting? Just so you guys know, Landis is a big sports card collector, and Walmart sell out of their cards immediately. Do you think you would have a very good chance of getting your sports cards uh, in a Walmart in the middle of nowhere? Or do you think that no matter where it is, it's going to come off the shelves? I think no matter where it is, it comes off the shelves within a matter of like a day, day and a half. But I think you have more of a window if it is a more rural Walmart. The WalMarts in Columbus and like the surrounding area lose lose their uh, their stock pretty quickly. Is there like, like a Walmart in, like in the middle of the state that's kind of off the beaten path, like on the way to Toledo? Probably. Yeah, you should map up every Walmart in Ohio and just hit them all. There's probably a lot of WalMarts in Ohio. Yeah. All right, I'll do that. I'll do that. I'm gonna do that. Go to St. Louis, and then come back and be back for practice at 9:30 on Thursday morning. So I gotta hit the road now. <sighs> gonna prepare for it mentally okay ohio state continues spring practice or fall camp excuse me uh we'll be there on thursday we'll be there next week 
next week I think will be the big week when we start to, whatever we see like I said next Thursday I think will be indicative of, of what's going to be on the field come September 2nd against Minnesota thanks for listening to this episode of 4 to 6 with AMB keep it tuned in to the podcast keep it tuned in to the athletic theathletic.com slash 4-6 get you a deal you can read our stories from camp and stories from across college football as the season approaches thanks again we'll talk to you guys next week Thank you.